If you have a Bible, would you please take it and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we will be in verses 1 through 21 of this chapter. And then next Sunday, we'll look at verses 22 through the end of the chapter. So a couple weeks here in John chapter 10, before we um, come to the story of Lazarus and the transition that's going to happen here in the book of John. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, John chapter 9 as a whole and the sign of Jesus healing the man who had been born blind. Uh, the miracle, uh, you may have noticed, takes up very little of that chapter. Uh, the bulk of it actually has to do with the interrogation of this man who had been healed by the Pharisees. Uh, we saw that at the conclusion of their interrogation, they expelled the man from their presence and also from the fellowship of the synagogue. But Jesus found him quickly and announced his identity as the Son of Man who came to bring salvation to all people. So John 9 concludes in verses 39 through 41 with these words. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, blind you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Now, reading that, we might actually imagine that the scene closes there. But in fact, what we find is that John chapter 10 is a continuation of this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, as well as the other Jews who surely were around and heard these words. And not only were the Jews around hearing these words, but the man born blind would seem to be amongst the hearers of John chapter 10. And as we look at this chapter, we find that the discussion has moved on from spiritual blindness and sight to an extended illustration centered on sheep and the vocation of a shepherd. That could seem like a strange topic to shift to. However, the imagery of sheep and shepherding allows Jesus to reveal the failure of those who had been tasked with shepherding his people as opposed to the perfection of his calling as the perfect shepherd. So this passage then serves as an, as an indictment on the Pharisees and an exaltation of Jesus. So in contrast to, to following false and destructive leaders, John 10, 1 through 21 says to us this. It says, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus as the one who sacrificially saves and lovingly provides for his sheep. Receive Jesus. We know receive in John's gospel is parallel to belief. And here it says, receive Jesus as the one who sacrificially saves and lovingly provides for his sheep. For all of our shows of strength, the reality is that we are very weak, needy, blind, and foolish people. All of, all, all of humanity is this way. And, and sadly, we are often seeking ways to exalt ourselves, even if it means harming others. Not only do we do this to others, but others uh, do this to us. We face threats from people seeking to, to harm us. People we've never meet, met sometimes seek to harm us. Could be through trying to steal our identity could be through some sort of scam, whether through our email or just on the phone or 
even just advertisers trying to trick us into buying things that we don't need. Even the people that we know can be heartless and harsh to us. There are many, as this passage calls them, thieves and robbers and wolves in this world, and it feels sometimes like we're always on guard against them. So isn't it comforting to know from this passage that there is a good shepherd? There's a shepherd who loves us. He knows us. He knows us by name. He cares deeply for us and longs to protect us. And as Jesus is revealed to be this good shepherd, John calls us not to live in the fear of those who would seek our harm, but rather to receive Jesus as the one who sacrificially saves and lovingly provides for his sheep. Let's hear these beautiful words from John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will, f- they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and They will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Receive Jesus as the one who sacrificially saves and lovingly provides for his people. Uh, Before we get into that idea and into this passage, let's note two important backgrounds that sort of inform what Jesus is saying here. Uh, First, we'll look at the imagery of leaders as shepherds in the Old Testament. And second, the vocation of a shepherd in the first century. Uh, We could call these things uh, the biblical context for this uh, passage, and then also the cultural context of this passage. So first, thinking about the biblical context, let's think about the imagery 
of leaders as shepherds in the Old Testament. We can, in fact, probably spend the rest of our time tracing this theme of shepherds, of leaders as shepherds by looking at the Old Testament and then considering all of Jesus' teaching and then even looking into the, the New Testament. But let me instead just quickly highlight two passages, the first being in Numbers 27. Here, Moses' life is drawing to a close, including his leadership in Israel, and so he prays, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. There's echoes of John 10 there. And here the shepherd that is to replace Moses that he has, is praying for is Joshua. Joshua, a name that is parallel to Jesus' name. And we find that Joshua led the people well as they entered into the promised land. But Israel's leaders were not always good shepherds, were they? The clearest indictment of the bad shepherds of Israel is in Ezekiel 34, which Jake read for us earlier. There the Lord condemns the leaders of his people for neglecting to care for the sheep while they fattened themselves. And so he says that he himself is going to rescue his sheep. Furthermore, there in Ezekiel, 23, Ezekiel 34, 23, and 24, the Lord declares, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now we know that when Ezekiel is writing that David is long dead and buried, right? Which means that he's pointing to someone in the line and in the spirit of David. And Jesus is the fulfillment of these words here. In John chapter 10, he is announcing that he is the greater Moses. He is the greater Joshua. And he is the one from the line of David who would be the great and final shepherd of his sheep. And he said in contrast to all of the false shepherds of Israel, those in Ezekiel 34, but also those, the, the Pharisees, who have most recently revealed their failure to shepherd the people of God through the way that they treated this man who had been born blind and was healed. So we see this biblical context, but besides the Old Testament imagery of leaders as shepherds, we should take note of the cultural context, which has to do with the vocation of a shepherd in the first century. We don't know much about shepherds, and I don't pretend to be an expert on ancient sheep farming, um, so I will instead read a concise summary from the commentator Bruce Milne that I think will help us understand this illustration as, as the original hearers and readers would have um, heard and, and read it. So this is what he writes, just to give us some context for what Jesus is saying. The fold or pen was probably a large communal enclosure where several flocks were herded for safety at night. The calling of the sheep in the morning would be crucial as each shepherd assembled his own flock from the larger flock in the fold. During the night, a guard would be hired, the, the gatekeeper or watchman. He would remain at the entrance to the enclosure. Robbers could enter only by scaling the enclosure. The guard would admit only the true shepherds by the gate when they arrived in the morning. You see each of those people and, and that situation represented here in what Jesus is saying. And so with these two pieces of context in mind, let's look a little bit closer at John 10, 1 through 21, 
and this call to receive Jesus as the one who sacrificially saves and lovingly provides for his sheep. I think the passage splits into two main parts, verses 1 through 5 and verses 7 through 18, which both conclude with comments about how the people responded to Jesus' words. In both sections, Jesus is using sheep farming to speak about who he is as compared to the Pharisees. Uh, We might say he gives the illustration in verses 1 through 5 and then explains and expands on it in verses 7 through 18. But however we look at it, we need to be careful not to push the illustration too far, but rather uh, to just see in general how Jesus and the false teachers of his day compare with one another. Which means I think we can understand a large part of this passage by asking this question. How are the thieves and the good shepherd different? I just want to try to answer that question as we walk through this passage. How are the thieves and the good shepherd different? Before we answer that question, notice that the thief or the thieves here would seem to be a reference to the false shepherds of Israel, not to Satan. If I'm honest, that's how I always read this passage, I think. I thought that the thief was must be Satan. But the context of chapter 9 points to this reality that it's in fact talking about the Pharisees and all the false shepherds of Israel. Now certainly there's a broader evil behind those that would use their leadership role amongst God's people as a, as a means of gaining prestige and power, but it's the false shepherds, not Satan, that Jesus is calling out here. So, here, so how are the thieves and the good shepherd different? First, they're different in the way they enter the sheepfold. They're they're different in the way that they enter the sheepfold. If your neighbors call you late one night and pick up the phone and they say, hey, there's someone climbing in your window. (laughs) What do you assume? Well, you assume that it's probably a thief or at least someone that's seeking to do you harm because people who live in your house usually come through the door, right? And, And people who are seeking to to help you out in some way or who are at least acquaintances, they they come to the door and they knock on the door. But what do robbers do? Robbers climb in through windows. We can assume the scene here that Jesus is describing is probably occurring at, at night where the watchman who's been hired by a group of shepherds is standing watch at the one door that enters into this larger sheep pen. And while he's standing guard, there's this threat of a thief scaling that wall and stealing some of the sheep. But is that how the shepherd enters the pen? No. What does he do? He walks through the door. Why? Because the watchman recognizes him. As we're thinking about this illustration, we might ask who the watchman represents. I don't know if he represents anyone, really, but if I had to take a guess, it would be people, the teachers and the prophets of Israel, who recognize Jesus as the Messiah, That could be what he represents, but maybe he represents nothing. Either way, what we find is that the point is that there's a a difference between Jesus, uh, the the good shepherd, and these false shepherds, the, the thieves. And the difference here in how they enter the sheepfold is that with Jesus, there's a lack of deception. A lack of deception. In other words, Jesus is not trying to sneak in. He's not trying to get in and steal the sheep. He's not trying to trick us into following him. He he doesn't want to force us to be his disciples. 
Think about this. There's no deception in the gospel call. There's also no coercion. There's no heavy-handedness in the gospel. Jesus comes to us, and he comes without any disguises. It's an invitation to follow him. And so, too, as we speak to others about the gospel, we're not trying to force people into following Christ. We're not trying to trick them into becoming Christians. We don't argue people into the kingdom. We simply declare who Jesus is and the offer of life that he holds out to everyone who will believe. He comes through the door. It's not trying to sneak in and steal sheep. No, that's not who he is because he's the shepherd. Now, related to the way that they enter the sheepfold, we see a difference between the thief and the shepherd in the reason that they enter the sheepfold. The reason that they enter the sheepfold. Why are these guys trying to get in, and why is Jesus trying to get in? Well, go back to your phone call from your neighbor about someone climbing through your window. You automatically assume that that person is breaking into your house to seek to harm you in some way. Actually, below that desire to harm you, they're, they're fundamentally seeking their own good. A robber is probably happy if they come in and don't have to harm anyone. They just want to steal your stuff. Oh, but they are harming you because they're taking your things. In many ways, though, for a robber, you are the last thing on their mind. They could care less about you, which is why they're breaking in to rob from you, because they don't care about you. And so, too, the thief here is only seeking his own good. He's willing to harm others, whether the owner of the sheep or the sheep themselves, to get what he wants. We might ask what the false shepherds of Israel wanted. What do all false shepherds want? It could have been power and prestige. Maybe they wanted the pride and the ego that come from controlling others. Maybe they were filled with fear or shame or guilt and controlling other people allowed them to mask their own sin and their own shortcomings. Uh, whatever they wanted, we find in verse 9 that they were willing to steal and to kill. Oh, sorry, verse 10, they were willing to steal and kill and destroy the sheep to get what they wanted. In the blindness of their pride, they're willing to do the greatest harm to the sheep in order to get what they want. They act like they want to lead and help the sheep, but in fact, they're looking to destroy them. So, in contrast, why has the shepherd, why is the shepherd entering the sheepfold? Well, most simply, the, the shepherd arrives at the door of the sheep pen for their good. The shepherd is seeking to bless them. He's seeking to do good for them. This is the message that Jesus has said over and over again, that he did not come to judge the world, but to save it. That's why he's come. Sadly, we can sometimes believe the lie that God is seeking to harm us, that he's, he's no better than all the false shepherds that we've met in our lives, that he's sneaky, he's deceptive, he's offering life only to enslave us and take from us what we love most. But Jesus is, is not a thief. Jesus is the shepherd. He's known by the watchman, and he comes to bless us. I notice, too, that he's known by the sheep, and the sheep are known by him. We're told that he calls them by, by name, and they come to him. This was the case for many actual shepherds in that day. They, they named their flock. Every sheep in their flock had a specific name, and they, they knew all of their sheep. 
And so too Jesus knows the names of all that are his. If you are his child, Jesus knows your name. And he calls you to follow him by name. Notice that Jesus, the good shepherd, also comes for the purpose of leading his sheep. I think when I think about shepherding, uh, I envision shepherds herding sheep from behind, uh, usually with dogs or something like that. They're, they're pushing the sheep into some place. But we're told here, and, and from what I can tell, the practice of first century shepherds was not to, to herd sheep, but was to lead them from the front. And so Jesus goes before his sheep. He goes before us and calls us to follow him. We know that Jesus never calls us to go somewhere that he has not already walked, that he never points down the difficult road and says, go there. Rather, he walks in front of us and he says, follow me. I'm the good shepherd. So where is he leading his sheep, these sheep who know his voice? Verse 3 simply says that he leads them out. Verse 9 expands on that and it says that he leads his sheep in and out to find pasture. I think the idea is that he's providing for his sheep exactly what they need. In contrast to the, to the thieves in verse 10 who are seeking to steal and kill and destroy the sheep, Jesus comes to give us what? To give us life. And not just life, but life to the full, abundant life. That doesn't mean health, wealth, and prosperity. It simply means the life that we were made for that is only found when we are in the sheepfold of Jesus following his ways. It's only there that our hearts will be content, and that is full and abundant life. So Jesus is providing pasture, but not only that, he, he also brings us protection. He brings salvation. Because Jesus is not only the shepherd, he says he is the door. Now, this is where it gets a little confusing. Jesus just starts mixing metaphors. He says, well, we're talking about shepherds and sheep and pens, so I'm just going to pull all of them in. And he says he's the door. Now, one explanation could be the thought that often the shepherd himself would be the door to the sheep pen, that there was no actual gate, but that the shepherd would lay down across that one opening that was there. And so he was the door. And in that way, no one could enter the fold except through him. Even if that's not the case, Jesus is making the exact same point, namely that as he will say in chapter 14, he is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one enters into his sheepfold except through him. He is the door. And only as we come to him by faith are we welcomed into the salvation and the protection of his fold. Here's the reality then. Anyone else who claims to be the way of salvation or who offers up some doorway to salvation outside of Jesus, we know exactly who that person is. They're a thief and a robber. They are not seeking to give the sheep pasture and protection. They're only seeking to harm them for their own gain. Why? Because Jesus alone is the door of salvation. And it's only when we repent of our sins and trust in him that we can find life. Let me say, if you're seeking salvation outside of Christ, you will find that you're being led instead to a place of being robbed and killed and destroyed. But Jesus is the Savior who was in fact robbed and killed and destroyed for us so that he could take up his life again 
and give us salvation. This leads us to another difference between the, the thief and the shepherd, and it's the relationship that they have with the sheep. A difference between thieves and, and the good shepherd is the relationship that they have with the sheep. In verses 1 through 5, it's clear that the sheep know the shepherd, but they do not know the thief. Verse 5 says they, they won't follow a stranger, but they will follow the shepherd because they know his voice. Have you ever said to someone, it's good to hear your voice? Use that phrase. Usually we say it when we're on the phone with someone that we haven't talked to in a while, but I think it reminds us of the affection that we have for people and that it's connected in some way to every part of them, including the sound of their voice. And for the follower of Jesus, we hear his voice and we're drawn to him because of it. Of course, the difference between my illustration and Jesus is we don't actually hear the, the, the literal voice of Jesus, but rather the words that he speaks to us ring true in our hearts because of the work of the Spirit. When someone is born again, the words of Jesus sound not like judgment or condemnation or nonsense and foolishness. Rather, they sound like the words that we've been searching for for our entire lives. And the child of God, when we listen to him, we, we hear truth. When we listen to his word, what he says to us, it enlivens us, it, it awakens us, and we know that those words are the voice of the shepherd who loves us. The scriptures are that to us. They are the voice of Jesus calling out to us. And if we are his children, we hear it, and we know that that's the road that we want to follow. Jesus goes as far as to say that the way his sheep know him and he knows his sheep is parallel to the way that the Father knows him and he knows the Father. Think about that. Look, look at it here. It's in verse, um, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That has to be a, a deep knowledge, doesn't it? a deep knowledge and a, a spiritual knowledge of one another, a knowledge that, that goes to our very soul and maybe even taps into the original order of things when Adam was walking with God and they talked as friends. Through Jesus, we, we are welcomed into that depth of relationship with God. We see the contrast in this relationship status with a character other than the thief. It's the hired hand. This was someone who was called in to care for the sheep in the shepherd's absence, a, a sheep babysitter, if you will. Uh, but his only motivation for caring for the sheep is a paycheck. So when a wolf shows up and threatens not just the sheep's lives, but that man's life, he says, you know what, I'm not getting, enough. I'm get, not getting paid enough for this. And he runs away. But what about the shepherd? The shepherd cares for the sheep not because he's getting paid, but because they're his, because they belong to him. And he cares for them and he loves them. He's, he's named them all. If the wolf killed one of his sheep, he could look at that sheep and say, that was my sheep. And he'd say that sheep's name because he knows them. So there's deep affection for these sheep. 
This leads us to the surprise of this passage that we've already seen in some ways. It's a surprise that you can hardly miss because five times in this passage, Jesus talks about laying down his life for his sheep. Unlike the hired hand, the shepherd doesn't run away from the wolf. The shepherd runs to the wolf to stop him. He's like David. Remember, David told King Saul that he was going to kill Goliath, and he was going to kill Goliath in the same way that he killed that bear and killed the lion when they tried to attack his sheep because David was a, a shepherd. And yet Jesus doesn't say here that he's going to kill the wolf, does he? Rather, it would seem that he is killed, that he sacrifices his life for the sheep, that the way he rescues his own is by dying for them. We're taken back to chapter one and we find that Jesus is not only the door of the sheep, it's not just the shepherd of the sheep, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The other thing that's really important here is that Jesus is clear that his death is voluntary. It's not an accident. No one takes his life from him, he says. He lays it down. And he says he has authority to do this, but not only does he have authority to lay his life down, but also to take it up again. As he has said, he is the I am. He is the source of life. And because he dies for the sins of others, for our sins, death cannot hold him. And he resurrects from the dead to offer eternal life to all who are his. In the midst of this, Jesus also speaks about the relationship he has with the Father, and he says that his willingness to lay down his life is their plan, and it's a grounds for their love for one another. This plan of redemption, including the death of Jesus, is no accident. It is designed, it's God's perfectly, perfect plan from eternity past to save his sheep so that he can bless them with joy and protection and salvation for eternal ages, and it's the only way that it can happen. What's interesting here is that we find that part of this plan includes gathering in sheep from different folds, according to verse 16. Did you see that there? I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. I think that means that the, the sheep that he's talking about earlier in this passage seem to be exclusively the sheep of the flock of Israel, the Jewish people. But Jesus hints at that worldwide mission that had been spoken to Abraham and that we see fulfilled in Revelation as people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, nation worship the lamb who was slain. Jesus has come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel but he's also come for the sheep that are scattered all around the world in the hopes that he can bring them in and they will all be one flock with one shepherd. Here we see what Paul is going to talk about like we looked at in Ephesians chapter two, that there's this call to unity for all who claim Christ as their shepherd. If we are in Christ, then anyone else who is in Christ is our brother and sister in Christ. If Jesus is our shepherd, then anyone else who is a part of his flock is our brother and sister, and we are unified. If he is our shepherd, then we are all together a part of his wonderfully diverse flock, which is why we love to go to the nations, because Jesus has sheep in so many different folds, and he's calling them all by name to come to him. 
Well, we see all the, the differences between the, the thieves and the hired hands and the good shepherd. And so the question of verses 19 through 21 becomes, how will we respond? How will we respond? It's interesting, the Jews claim that after these words, they say that Jesus has a demon and is insane, and therefore there's no reason to listen to him. It's quite the response to, to these words, isn't it? Shows that they didn't hear the shepherd's voice. But others, they wondered at the words and the works of Jesus. They say, could a, could a demon talk like this? Would a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so here we see the division that's played out throughout the, the world and throughout all of history. And it will be played out until the final separation of the sheep from the goats. So the question is, will we, by God's grace, find Jesus to be our good shepherd and trust in him? Or will we persist in blindness and choose to reject him as our shepherd? One of those roads leads to abundant, eternal life. The other road leads to destruction. The question that the good shepherd poses to all is, which will you choose? I think another way we might respond to and apply this passage is to ask, especially for those of us who are in leadership in the church, are we false shepherds? Jesus has strong words for false shepherds, and so he wants us to ask if we are in that group, do we seek to have others follow us through deception? Are we leaders of God's flock only because of selfish and prideful motives? Are we serving for personal gain? Or are we willing to lay down our lives for the good of God's people? And ultimately, are we pointing others to the good shepherd, realizing that we are under shepherds and calling people to find in Jesus all that they are looking for? I think that's the sign of a good under shepherd, always pointing to Christ. Finally, for those of us who are in Christ, we might respond to this passage with hearts of I think renewed worship and renewed obedience. We see here a Savior who has come to seek our good and our abundant life through laying down His life for us. And it's as we follow Him that we find the joy that our hearts are seeking. And so I think we respond by giving thanks for Jesus, for His, his love for us that led Him to the cross and just for the beauty of the kind of Savior that he is, that he is not one who is deceptive and heavy-handed, that he is not one who is seeking uh, his own gain, but is seeking good for us. And out of that thanksgiving, we're motivated with hearts full of thankfulness to, to walk in his ways, in these ways that we know lead to life. And part of walking his ways then is to, to call others to him, knowing that he is the only door to salvation. And that he is the only one that will satisfy our souls. And so I invite you into renewed worship and to renewed obedience to Christ. Why? Because he is such a good shepherd. Let's take a moment and allow this image of Christ and the beauty of this passage and, and who he is to, to sink into our hearts and maybe allow the Spirit to apply his word to us in specific ways. So we'll take a moment of silence and then I will close this in prayer.
Father, we thank you for this beautiful plan of redemption that you and the Son have carried out that it was made before time even began. And thank you, Lord, that it's a plan that allows Jesus to come as a good shepherd, as, as one who comes to, to do us good and to bring blessing into our lives. Lord, forgive us for often thinking that, that he's leading us to places that will cause our harm or, Lord, for being stubborn sheep that don't listen to you. Forgive us for ways that we may have been false shepherds and have led people away from you. And Lord, call us back into renewed worship and renewed obedience to you, knowing that, that you are good and that you are seeking our good in all things. Ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.